think part of the fear, as much as what we're talking about in terms of my return to the music industry is about like, oh, ego and this and that, there's also this piece. I still, even though I've been there, even though I've been in on magazines and played big shows and, and already done it, still there's a piece of it's just, you know, just don't take up the space. Welcome to The Signal Podcast, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez, purpose coach to some of the leading voices in our culture today, from top CEOs to Hollywood stars, best-selling authors to world-class artists. In coaching these incredible humans, one truth has become abundantly clear. No matter who we are, we all carry pain, joy, and the desire to feel connected to a sense of purpose. This podcast is my way of extending some of the powerful lessons of my proven method to you so that hopefully you too can be inspired to heal the white noise of your limiting beliefs and tune into the signal of your intuitive wisdom. Welcome to Signal. Today, you're hearing a conversation between myself and Michael. Michael is a recording artist who has had some success in the music industry. And our session today is really focused on how those experiences within the music industry have created limiting beliefs for Michael that may be blocking their ability to create music today in a way that feels good. This session is really about reconnecting Michael to their purpose by healing those limiting beliefs and helping them to see how making music can be a process that feels creative and empowering for them. Hey, Signal listeners. Thanks for tuning in to season two. A couple quick disclaimers before we get started. Maury is not a licensed therapist, and this is not a therapy session. Intuition and purpose coaching with Maury is usually a six-month process, and what you're about to hear is just a snippet of what these sessions sound like. That said, this is a real coaching session with real people featuring real strategies that Maury uses in her method. All right, let's get to today's episode. Hi, Michael. Hi, Maury. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this. What I want to start with is just if you could give a quick introduction, who you are, what you are doing in life that excites you right now, what do you want me to know most about you? I'm very much in a transition in a lot of ways in my life right now. I just moved to Los Angeles from New York literally less than a month ago. Um, The last few years has been a lot of transition around my gender and sort of how I understand myself in that space. Um, I was signed to a record label for a number of years uh, in New York before the pandemic and toured and released music, at, you know, at a at a hot, very high professional industry level. Uh, before that, I was a I, I was a Latin American studies major at Yale, and before that, I was a overachieving, closeted white boy from New Jersey. And I think a lot of how I've understood myself my whole life has been through the lens of somebody else telling me that I'm good, whether that thing is whiteness whether that thing is the patriarchy, whether that thing is getting into Yale, whether that thing is getting a record deal after I put out one song, whether that thing was, you know, getting my blue check on Instagram. And I think the last few years, as I've really dived into meditation and ego death work, it's been about who are you, Michael, when no one's applauding? Who are you when people aren't giving you 
validation. Frankly, I've come a long way in that work. Um, I've come a long way in that work. And I've started to realize that I think my project spiritually now is much less about be your true self, be what you really are, be authentic, and much more about surrender to the mystery that I have no idea what the fuck I am. I literally do not know who or what I am, and I'm ever-changing, I'm ever-evolving. And for me, that's what transness is, my transness is about. It's about saying I'm changing all the time, I'm constantly in transition, I'm constantly a new person. And I think one of the things I'm struggling with, and I think one of the frameworks that I'd love to approach this conversation with you, and I'm curious kind of to get your wisdom and brilliance on, is you know I'm now in this space where after a two-and-a-half-year hiatus from releasing music, I'm you know, much more comfortable with who I am in a lot of ways. I've done a lot of surrendering to my own infiniteness, my own unknowability. And I'm in Los Angeles. I have this new music project. I'm getting ready to start releasing music again. I'm, I, and I'm getting ready to sort of be back in this space that frankly is so ego-driven, is so competition-based, is so about getting the spot so that someone else doesn't get it. And I do believe in abundance and I do believe in, I, I, there's only one of me. And of course, on a spiritual level, my only competition is me. And I do know that. But I'm in this space now where it's like, if I want to pay my bills with music, like I've been doing for the last 10 years, I need to believe. And I struggle with this phrase. And I was having this conversation with a mutual friend of ours the other day. You know, I need to believe that I'm better. Or, I, or, or that I'm somehow worthy of the spot that someone else isn't or that I have to, you know, fight for it because there's only so many spots on the playlist. There's only so many, you know, followers that are going to follow X music, you know what I mean? And so I'm I'm struggling with this uh, tension between the spiritual work that I've done, right? the, the ego death that I, I really, you know, I still have a long, long way to go on that, but I've come a long way and mm -hmm. sort of this space where I want to re-enter the music industry, which is just, I mean, it's all the things that are so antithetical to what I've been sort of healing from. Absolutely. I love the language you're using because it's clear that your level of not only emotional, but spiritual intelligence is there. And one of the things I just want to point your attention to is that spiritual evolution is really cyclical. It's an upward cycle, but it's cyclical. And what I mean by that is that we have to continue to learn the same lesson at every stage of our evolution as we are getting more and more united with our higher self and in line with higher self and with source. And so what I'm hearing from you when you talk about really working on ego death is that if there's a theme that continues to be presented for you to heal at each level... It's this notion of balancing this human experience, which includes things like ego. Ego is not always bad, right? Ego is there to serve us. Ego is really, if you look at it from a neutral standpoint, the vehicle that's trying to get you what you want, right? Mm. Now, it gets completely outsized and it gets completely maligned by all of the other forms of feedback and internal negative belief systems we have, but if we just look at it neutrally. And what I'm hearing you say is there's this balance between the human experience of ego and what comes with desire and the need to exist on this plane, in this body, in this capitalistic society, and the spiritual truth that you also know, that sometimes it feels that these two things are coming into collision with one another 
Is that accurate? Yeah, they're coming into collision. And, and also, you know, how much can one surrender to the other? And maybe I should just go, me- why, why aren't I meditating all day? Right. Where did you get the idea that meditation and seclusion and really spending all of your time and energy in that space alone is what good looks like? I wouldn't say what's good looks like. I would say what it's what peace feels like. So it's what it, it's the response you're getting from your own energy when you do it. Yeah. Like I know that over the last few years, as I've become a daily meditator, I'm more peaceful. I just, I just, my anxiety is, is less there. And, and I, I think that what I've realized, especially on during, during lockdown and during some of the reading I've done and some of the psychedelic experiences I've had and the meditation of the last few years has, it's very clear to me that my priority is no longer success. My priority is peace. And mm. the evidence I have suggests that meditating does bring me peace. What you're about to hear here is that making music is something that they really love and that there is a block to making it that is related to an experience they've had in the past that came with having a record deal, making music and and becoming successful at it that did not feel good. And so what you'll notice here is that I'm guiding them to really try and make the correlation between that negative experience and the idea of music in general. And what's becoming clear here is that music itself has become something that is synonymous with suffering because of that experience. And this is where we need to disentangle that belief system before it becomes a lasting limiting belief that the experience of suffering and music are two separate things and that there's a new way, a new path forward that hasn't been imagined yet. Let me ask you, what would the experience of not making music or being recognized for your music feel like? Well, those are two different questions. Those are two big, yeah, big right? Um, they are. I think one of the things I'm, I struggle with is like, I mean, I'm going to really be honest here. Do I even like making art or was it always just the way that it tickled my ego? Was it always just about the reward that I got for the art? I did a show two weeks ago here in LA it was in, and it sort of ended up being my first show back since the pandemic. I thought it was going to be a kind of like background gig, like it was kind of at a bar. I thought it was going to be like, oh, me just playing and people kind of milling around. It ended up being a small crowd of people who actually really love me and and are fans and supporters of mine and wanted to see me. So it ended up being more of like a a show. Mm -hmm. And after the show, I I noticed that I I didn't have the same high that I used to get Mm -hmm. from from the shows, frankly, pre-pandemic and pre the last few years of this work. And I just keep asking myself, like, is that my spirit saying, yeah, you don't want to do this? Or is that my spirit saying, yeah, this was never about you and you getting high off this shit. This was about you just letting it come through you. Enjoy. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing the show. I had a good time, but I wasn't you know, there's a there's a drug rush that that comes that used to come from that. And I noticed I didn't have that. And I've I mean, I think that's a really great sort of case in point of where this tension is living. I'm like, do I like this? Was that just because my have I have I gotten over the addiction to applause to some extent? Like, so what if let's follow this this train of thought that I think is really being introduced by your higher self, right? Which is, were you doing it for the applause only ever? Or were, was the applause part of something else that you're working on healing? 
So I think what we have to do is disentangle the music and the art from the validation that it brought you. Those are two wholly separate things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, totally. Now you have done so much spiritual and uh, energetic and emotional healing that it's very possible that you've healed that what I call validation addiction. But if we take the validation aside and we just look at the act of making music, what does that feel like to you now? I haven't done it in a while. Why? The first year of the pandemic, I really just kind of stopped. I kind of just took a break and I was smoking way too much weed and tripping a lot of acid and meditating a lot. Then I did make a lot of stuff though over the pandemic, but it's just, I don't feel like I'm in a good practice relationship right now. Like I'm not in like a disciplined practice relationship. And I think there's, and this is now going to get to, I I mean, there's fear. There's fear that I'm going to make this stuff and it, it won't be good enough or it won't it won't get me where I'm supposed to be with it. Or it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I think maybe I have somewhat healed the validation addiction to some extent. I, I Not 100% by any means, but. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> That's, I've never met anyone this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that you introduced fear. And it's funny because I heard fear, but I heard fear of something else. Right? Fear, of, fa- fear of failure? You've described fear of failure. But I, I'm curious, actually if there is a attribute you've put onto making music because of your experience with becoming successful at your music being noticed and then being introduced into this industry that you described as scarcity-driven and ego-driven, right? That somehow music became synonymous with this uncomfortable, undesirable experience that you had. Does that make sense, what I'm yes. saying? Yes. Yeah, it does. Okay. So can you recall the last time you enjoyed making music? I can because it was last week and something. it was really amazing. My friend invited me to this hang at, at a friend's warehouse apartment in downtown LA. And I, I didn't really know anybody. I wasn't sure what the vibe was going to be. But it ended up sort of being a bunch of kind music people. And there was sort of a band there. So they kind of knew each other and they were holding down the groove and the vibe and there was just it, it became this moment where we were we were all just kind of improvising i mean like probably like 15 of us were like improvising and singing together and i just closed my eyes and i was singing with people i had never met and i was singing really quietly and it wasn't about me as a soloist or me being lauded it was just about me contributing my little you know to this thing and it was fucking awesome it was so so transportative and healing and i remember saying to my friend wow thank you so much for inviting me what felt good about it i mean this is coming to me live but somehow like it not being about me felt good about it what is something being about you what's synonymous with that that you've used pressure Failure. I'm not sure if I'm answering the question the way you intended. No, no, no. I, no, no, no. I want uh, to know what comes to you. Know, you know, being the best, being being notable, being just being exceptional, being remarkable, being mm-hmm. you know. And it's embarrassing if it's not. It's embarrassing somehow to make something that people are like, eh, or worse, like you know, this fear that I have that I put things on the internet, I put my work out, I perform. I even I was saying to my therapist the day of that show that I did. I have so much fear that people are going to look at what I'm doing and go, oh, wow, this is Michael so bad. I, I, I feel bad for them. I'm like, eek, cringe, embarrassed for them. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's, whose it's, voice is that? Whose voice is the? It's going to be awful, people. It's going to be embarrassing if it's not perfect. You know, my first response was going to be my mom, but I don't know if that's fair, actually. And I think that might be kind of defensive and like wanting to point somewhere else. I mean, it's my voice. It's it's which part of you? We know it's not your higher self, right? My lower self. Uh, Yeah, your ego. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's my ego needing a story about myself. It's my ego needing to center myself, needing to make myself the center of the universe, even if that means I'm the center of the universe for being bad, for being shitty, for being embarrassing. Right. So making music became went from something that felt soul-filled to something that triggered your ego into this storytelling. Is that fair? Yeah, I'm I'm wondering when that happened. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So can you if you look at the trajectory of your career, you said you got signed to a label a few years back. Can you pinpoint a moment where you can feel this tectonic plate shift? This, oh, it went from it, it was fun or my soul felt like it was on fire to my soul doesn't feel on fire anymore. Well, it's just really hard because when I think about my soul, the, the, the moments where my soul was on fire, again, with, with this separation we're talking about, I also feel like those were the times where my ego was like super ignited and engaged as well. And like, I'm so great because I'm playing these festivals and I and also my soul's on fire because I'm having these really authentic musical experiences. But also like I'm playing these major national festivals and I have all this audiences of thousands of people. So it's hard to say, but I... I think something happened a few years into my label deal. I released my second project and it sort of didn't take off the way I think my team was hoping that it would. And I felt a collective sort of disinvestment and disinterest in me from my managers and my agents and my label. Sort of there was this collective like, "Hmm, I guess this didn't work. And I think that really fucked me up. But also, I'm so grateful for that moment because it got me to where I am now, where I was, where I'm able to be like, that was never what I was anyways. Like, that was all a balloon that got exploded. And it, my ego was like, my balloon exploded. But then I was also like, yeah, bitch, your fucking balloon exploded. So how many years ago are we talking? I want to put that in 2018. So about four years. Okay. So there's a part of you that's four years younger that's stuck somewhere that we need to go retrieve and bring into the present. Do you want to do that together? All right. So this process that you're about to hear that I am going to do is about really visualizing ourselves in the present, going back to a moment in time when we are traumatized, triggered, in fear, and spending time with that version of ourselves. One, to witness what it is that they're feeling and allow them to be witnessed and heard. And two, to provide a perspective to that version of us then from a point in the future that shows them what their actions and their beliefs did to get us to where we are today. So it's about expressing gratitude, but ultimately it's about unsticking them from that feeling that they're in in that moment and bringing them forward with us. So the way we're going to do this is that you're going to close your eyes and I'm going to just guide you. I'm going to sit back in my chair. Yes, please do. And you're just going to kind of, as I guide you, 
you're going to truly answer what first comes into your heart or your mind. I say the first thing you hear, but people hear it differently. Now, I'm lucky with you because you seem to be very, very comfortable with this sort of language and exercise. So I think we can just get right into it and I don't have to tell you to trust it. A lot of times people ask me, am I making it up? And the answer is absolutely not. Energy is energy and you can tap into it in the past and in the future. So take a deep breath for me. I just want you to picture yourself on a path. If you look down, that path is kind of like a dirt road. And just picture yourself walking down the path. You can see your feet walking down the path. And as you do that, you're going to see that there's a green hill ahead of you. I just want you to picture yourself walking towards the hill. Look at the hill and notice the way that it is curving upward. Look up at the sky. Just notice that there's very few clouds. You can feel the breeze on your skin, but it's very comfortable. And continue to walk forward and approach that hill. And we're just going to walk up this hill, you notice when you look down that it changes from dirt to grass. We're going to keep walking up that hill. And when we get to the top, when you look down, you're going to see a city. Notice the city. Notice how the energy changes. Notice what it feels like is emanating from the city below. And we're going to walk down the hill now towards the city. And as we walk down the hill, we start to enter the city. We can hear the noises of the cars, the horns, people talking. And we notice that below our feet is now sidewalk. I want you to picture yourself walking down that sidewalk towards where you lived in 2018. I'm seeing that there's, are there stairs outside? Mm, Yeah. Okay. So we're going to approach those stairs and you're going to go ahead and go, is it up? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Up the stairs, open the door to the front of your building. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I want you to see yourself walking down the hallway to your door. We're going to reach that door. Can you describe what the door looks like? Mm, kind of old blue paint with a, you know, under-repaired metal doorknob. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and put your hand on that doorknob and turn. And as we enter into this space, I want you to let the feelings that live in this space kind of just wash over you. When we enter the space, we see someone sitting in a chair by the window. I want you to approach them and let them just notice you. And let me know what kind of reaction you get. Mm, They're like, wow, you look amazing. And who is this person sitting in this chair? Me. Okay. 
I want you to ask them if you can pull up a seat and sit at that window with them. Let me know what you hear. They say yeah. So let's go sit right near them. And I want you to look at them, really look at them with your eyes, but also really sensing, sensing the emotion and the energy emanating from them. What are you feeling coming from them? Sadness. Mm -hmm. What is the story they're telling themselves that's creating the sadness in the moment? They'll never be enough. And it's embarrassing. they believe about themselves or what's making them feel so sad and tell me what you hear they're ugly and an imposter Mm. and still just trying to make their parents happy trying to make sense to their parents and just trying to make sense in general Mm -hmm. to the world and to themselves Mm -hmm. and as you look at them right now do you see ugly no can you tell them what you see I see confusion side of them, God in them, love in them, consciousness in them. They don't they don't realize that like it's, so not, I want a, you it's to... not about Michael. Mm. We're so caught up on Michael. I'm still so caught up on Michael. Mm. It's okay. It's a journey. And Michael is important because what I hear you saying is that Michael is divine. reach out and hold their hand and I want you to look really deeply at them tell them what they are remind them what do you see you are what you are light you are love you are a mystery and in the best way that they want so bad to be 
buttoned up and defined. Mm. How do they react as you're saying these things, though? What are you sensing? They don't get it. (laughs) So confusion still. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's okay. There are external voices that are very present for them right now. There are other people's opinions that are very present. What do you want to tell them about this disappointment in reality? What is the truth four years in the future about being given this quote-unquote rejection? What did it open up? It's not that deep. Like, they're, they're so caught up on being the one, on being the savior, being the fixer, being the one to end the war, to bring the peace, to change the people around them, to make the conversion happen, to... They have to be the hero. They have to be the center. And... There's no center. Can you give them something tangible that came from not continuing to be in this deal? In the record deal? What opened up? Mm -hmm. Mm. (sighs) Self-reliance. A return to even like if we go like five years even further back before the deal Mm -hmm. there was something about you know 2011 2012 Michael that just believed in themselves and could do it on their own didn't need anybody or anything Mm. that Michael got the deal (laughs) and so what does not having the deal anymore bring back for Michael? What is it bringing in? Not having the deal brings in... Well, I'm trying to get it to bring in confidence. Mm. Confidence, delusion, what's, what's where, where I'm confused. So the Michael from 2012 put down all of that self-reliance and hard work to get the deal. The Michael from 2018 has to go through the suffering and pain of losing the deal so that the Michael of today can realize that there is another way of making music, of releasing music that doesn't have to feel so terrible. My ego wants the record to show that I chose to leave the deal. Okay. (laughs) But the Michael from 2018 is experiencing suffering for that choice. Major, yeah. Loss of legibility. Yes. And that suffering that that Michael of 2018 is currently undergoing has opened a pathway. What is the new pathway? No fear. Mm. And if scarcity is that music can only be made and released in one way because that's the way it's been done for the last 50 to 60 years, 
What does abundance tell us? There are abundant listeners. There's abundant audience. There are people who need me. There are people who want to hear my story. There are people who will find themselves and find love and find the love that I am able to open up and channel for them. And it doesn't have to be about me being better than anybody. It's just about me being me mm-hmm. and me sharing me and me allowing God to work through me mm-hmm. and just allowing me to be the divinity that I am. And mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be this ongoing story of anybody else. Right. So I want you to look at that, Michael, and say, making music can be about us just being us and not suffering while we do it. Making music can be about us being us, just being us and not suffering while we do it. And I want to thank you for the pain you're currently enduring so that I can open that door today. And I want to thank you for the pain you're enduring so I can open that door today. Because what we deserve is for music to channel through us and for it to feel good. Mm. What do you notice about that Michael right now? She's curious Mm. about this other path. Curious is the most transformational feeling alive. (laughs) So she's not sad. She's curious, Mm -hmm. which is about creation, Mm -hmm. which is about exploration, Mm -hmm. which is about adventure. Mm -hmm. So now you get to ask that Michael in whatever way you want to. Do you want to stay here? Or do you want to come forward with me? What are you getting? They want to come. Okay. I want you to stand up and hold out your hand and let them grab it. And I want you to, first of all, now that you're eye to eye, wrap your arms around Michael and really embrace them. Tell them thank you and I love you. And now I want you to hold their hand and I want you to walk towards that door. Open the door and walk together out down the hallway out of the building, down the steps. Notice that the city is quieter than it was when you were going in. I want you to look up and see the sun shining and reflecting off the cars and the buildings and hear the birds being the loudest thing you can hear. And continue to hold their hand. We're going to walk up the sidewalk until we can see that green hill ahead of us. And we're going to walk towards the hill 
and as we look at the ground, it changes from cement to grass. We're going to walk up the hill, noticing the way the breeze is moving the grass blades, how blue the sky is. Let Michael notice how beautiful it is in this space. Walk up the hill together. We're going to see the hill sloping back towards our dirt road. Walk down the hill until when you look down, we can see dirt beneath our feet. And just grab that hand really tight. You're going to walk forward on the dirt road. And I'm going to need you to take three really deep breaths with me. And on that third breath, I want you to open your eyes. So in this moment, I just asked them to make sure that the exercise we just did with the 2018 version of themselves, they really try to apply with other versions of themselves. And sometimes when you don't have a guide on the other end to do that, it might be hard to tell if it's working or what you should be feeling. But what I would say when, you know, this person or anyone is trying to go back and do this on their own. What's important to do is one, suspend disbelief. So the first thing that you feel or hear, really take that as what you're hearing or feeling from that version of you. And two, really try and spend the time to uh, listen whatever it is that's coming through, really listening and showing that you've heard and then responding rather than going in and asking that part of you to listen and to give a speech to that part of you. That's not what we're asking. We're asking for you to really witness and we're asking for them to really go back and witness these parts of them so that these parts can become unstuck. So the way that they'll know that it's working is when they can hear or the thoughts start coming in that feel like they're from that past version. There are moments in all coaching sessions when I am both reading what is coming off of the person on the other end, both emotionally and energetically, but really tapping into my own intuition. And so when I feel a feeling like anxiety or sadness, that's a notice to me that the other person is having that emotion and that I need to call it out. Or when I hear a thought uh, about needing to guide that person in one direction or another, I absolutely unequivocally follow that voice and that thought every single time. And that's when you notice some of these, wow, it was really crazy you just said that. Because to me, it's not crazy, it's that I know that I'm intuiting what needs to be said. But to the other person on the other side, they're actually experiencing that experience of intuition and it feels odd. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How do you feel? I feel light. Beautiful. So that's a very good indication that a stuck part of you kind of became unstuck. <laughs> and now that we've brought Michael forward into the future, it's about spending time with them. And 
one of the things that I noticed in your initial interaction was initially the current you maybe had some judgment Hmm. around why that Michael saw themselves as the center of the universe and why they felt like they needed it and why was it all about them. And where I think we got, but I just want to underscore so you can continue to relay this to them and to you right now, is had they not done those things, there is no chance you'd be where you are at today with the enlightenment you have and the clarity you have about the way you want to exist as a soul, right? Yeah. So we want to be really mindful of the ways that we judge parts of ourselves today or in the past as we're evolving because they were doing with the information they had the absolute very best they could. Part of me wants to go, how do we know that? How do we know that they were doing the best that they could? Mm -hmm. What else would they be doing? Would they be working against the dreams they had? Maybe they could have been kinder. Maybe they could have been more thoughtful. Maybe they could have been... As soon as I'm saying these things, I'm like, no, they were doing the best that they could, of course. Yeah, I, I, I know because that. Because yeah. the only way you become er is with information. Yeah. Smarter, kinder, more patient is with experience and information. And so the really important part about giving ourselves grace is the information I have is from where I will move. Yeah. I've hurt people in the last few years and that's this is a we can this is another folder we can open no, please, if you want go ahead if it's coming up it's coming up for a reason and i um this has been a big a big theme for me also in the last few years of accepting and integrating the harm that i've caused and i mean to use you know internet language sort of not canceling myself from myself and so the thing you're saying right now, really, it, it brings that up. And, and some of the awakening that I had to the harm that I was causing and have caused throughout my life began around this time, too. Mm. And so, you know, I was at once suffering, but I was also, well, not that these two things are binary, but I was also causing suffering and causing harm in many cases without even knowing it. And... I was still doing my best. And there is no causing harm without suffering. They are the same thing. So you're suffering the judgment, the hatred that you were propelling at self just got reflected off of self and pushed outward. It's just a prism. It's literally just an illusion. Yeah. (laughs) It is not possible to project suffering or harm or judgment. This is an important one because I think judgment is the most acceptable form of malicious behavior we enact. We think we're entitled to it. It's not who's it really harming. It's Mm -hmm. our own beliefs and Mm -hmm. ideas about that person, Mm. right? But there is no ability to have judgment, particularly when it's harsh, if there's no harsh judgment towards self. Towards the self, absolutely. 
it's beautiful that you're saying this too because I've in the last week or so I think I, m- I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation I've been feeling really positive and just kind of tapped in and one of the ways that I've been able to notice that in myself is that I've been catching myself like five six seven eight times a day whether it's internally or in conversation just casually degrading myself casually making a self-deprecating joke casually having a thought about how I could never or I'm not enough or that was embarrassing or that was and I'm getting better at being like oh what why are you saying that what's up with that that's not and that has felt good and you're right I mean and I, I feel that I feel that as I'm kinder to myself I'm able to be kinder to other people because it's one and the same as I'm more aware of myself, I'm more aware of other people and more aware of what they might be going through because that, I mean, those neural pathways are are, are happening, are getting grooved yes. in. Yes. And can we have some compassion and forgiveness for the part of you that was suffering that was projecting that outward? Yeah. So I want to go back to now the idea of making music. Mm. Because what I think we just found was a limiting belief system Mm. around what it takes to be successful and make music. And the limiting belief system I think we just hit was, it's got to feel bad. Ooh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's got to feel hectic. It's got to feel anxiety-inducing. It's got to feel competitive. It's got to feel like a like a like a race like a rush um so is there any wonder that your beautiful heart decided to stop no i'm proud of myself for for taking a break and i mean i'm grateful to the pandemic in a way as that's complicated too but you know the space i needed it yeah so you needed it and that space created new awareness And what is that new awareness telling us about this belief system that being successful at your craft has to hurt? Is that unequivocally true? I don't know, Maury. I had a conversation recently, the same conversation I referenced earlier, where I was chatting with a successful friend about if there are just sort of sharing that you know, many of the people that they know and that I know that have had a lot of success are miserable. And I do think that it's possible, but I think the reality is that many people who are successful in our system get there by suffering, but they ignore their suffering because they're not ready to confront it and they're blindsided by the success. So now we found ourselves in a chicken or the egg situation because if your belief system is that suffering is required for success and you're bought into that belief system, you will suffer for success and then you will get success and you will be validated that that suffering created success and then you're in this cycle, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you just quickly about these people that you're thinking about. Is it possible that their limiting belief systems are creating the misery? Yes. 
my hesitancy is because I'm also just zoomed out. Like, you know, no one, I don't want to be, I don't want to be too pushbacky on you either, but I want you to be very pushbacky. Okay, I'm pushing back. Because this is your time and this is about you. Yeah, of course it's one, it's, yes, it's definitely limiting belief systems of these individuals, but I don't know that in this sort of money, capitalism, egoic, collective consciousness that we i mean we live in a world of of we are descending into madness as a species mm-hmm. we're absolutely descending into madness and i'm i, I get emotional about this too because i'm just like what the fuck like we have the option right now to wake up or continue to descend and i think the vast majority of people mm-hmm. are descending and i i don't know that I don't know that even if I woke up out of my own limiting belief system, that the system within which I'm breaking out of my belief system would then allow me to have non-miserable success. I mean, I want, I do, I want to believe that. So now you've just hit on the pain of being a pioneer. And then this brings up, okay, so are pioneers somehow better than people? And then I'm just like, well, now we're back to that whole dynamic. No, all I mean by pioneer is changing something in order to bring it forward or evolve it. They're not perfect, right? But if a system needs to change, how is the only way you seem like you're a student of, of history or of, of just having kind of have had a sense of this? What is the only way that that kind of evolution in society or in systems has happened? individuals do it and they live as love and they 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 emanate love and light and people see that and they're like i want to be light and love too so we have two options when i say pioneer it's that we can see a new way forward that others cannot see because of their trauma trauma limiting beliefs triggers we can see a new way forward and so we have two options option one is to hang back and look at them and see if they are succeeding or not succeeding in their limiting belief systems and if they're going to change. And if if they have to go through it, that means I have to go through it. But that means we're leaning back and we're craning our neck and that really hurts. Or it's to lean forward. Which has its just, own hurt too, because then I'm cutting off a lot of distance from a lot of, and there's more distance between me and these people that I loved, who loved me, who now can't see what I see. And that's very painful. Does there have to be distance? I just moved to California. (laughs) (laughs) And they're all in New York? My family, a lot of my friends from high school, my record label, a lot of, yeah, my my world is largely in New York. I mean, I have friends here too, but. um, What is the best way to allow them to see the new path forward? Living it. And have you ever heard of an instance where someone has lived the new path forward and other people have been like, wait a minute, I want to try that? Yeah. So then in living the new path forward, you're lifting other people up, the ones who are ready to do the same. Right. Yes? Right. Okay. Right. So tell me what's What's telling you. Yeah. There's a no. There's there's um, the tension there comes back to the beginning of the conversation where it's like I to lift people up have to believe 
and, and this is where language becomes tricky, but I'm a pioneer, as you say, or that I'm special or that I'm, you know, and, and, and all that brings up white boy Michael who thought that he was the shit. Does it? Yeah. Because you believe it's a slippery slope. I experience it as a slippery slope because white boy Michael who thinks he's the shit is still inside of me. Mm-hmm. What is white boy Michael who believes he's the shit offer that's of value? Ooh, that is a great question. That is such a good question, Maury. That is a really graceful question that I have not asked myself. There are no parts of us that are disposable. Mm, hallelujah. Not a single one. So if white boy Michael who believes he's the shit exists within you and he is not disposable, what is what is his value? What does he offer? What does he bring to the table? I'm going to switch back to they, them pronouns and say that they are smart. They're really smart. And they're really, you know, I've completely erased the value I had before I was 18 in this mo- in, over the last few years. I've completely erased myself as I have this ego death stuff has just, I mean, it's, it's great, but it's like I need to rebuild my value. Like... I'm fucking talented. I'm a great singer. I'm a great songwriter. I'm an incredible performer. I'm really kind. Even White Boy Michael was really kind. White Boy Michael did great things for people. White Boy Michael had all kinds of great things. White Boy Michael got into Yale. Yes, partially because he was White Boy Michael, but also because he was dope and talented and smart and kind and giving and brilliant and loving. And that is all still part of who I am. And it's funny, just now as I'm talking to you, I out of the corner of my eye saw a text come in that's super validating about someone that wants to reach out to me who I didn't think would want to reach out to me. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's because of all these things that I am. It's actually that's really no crazy. Accident, by that's the no way. accident. Thank I was just going to say, thank you, synchronicity. <laughs> is validating this conversation. No, like truly more. Love that's that. actually crazy. Like truly someone yeah. that, someone that in my no. head duh, has written me off and clearly yeah. they, they're like, hey, I'd love to see you. I'm in LA. You in your head written you off because in your head you wrote you off. You had to take everything about you that was wonderful and say it doesn't matter because I don't want to be special. Because I can't there, be special because being special is problematic. Special. Well, I'm going to say something that maybe is controversial. I have a problem with the concept of complete ego death. Because I do not believe it's attainable for 95% or more of human beings roaming this planet. And what that does is tell those of us that are still going to have an attachment to ego because remember, ego has a function, right? Ego has been put here for a reason as well. And that reason is momentum forward, achievement, right? Moving us toward whatever it is. And the reason that that is beneficial is because we are all put here with a purpose. And that purpose is for your highest good and the highest good of all else. It doesn't mean that ego doesn't become problematic or overinflated. It doesn't mean that. But what I want to say about this concept of ego death is that if you do not have the ability to go live in a temple, right, and truly devote your life, which, I mean, 
God bless. Obviously, God bless. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the information we have about universe, about magnetism, about mindfulness, about abundance. It is because of, of people that can do that that we have it. So that is much gratitude to that. But that is not necessarily the path for most of us. And so because we have to operate in this world where we interact with others in capitalism, in whatever system in higher education, in whatever system that we are operating in, trying to completely rid ourselves of ego can be problematic for us because now we villainized something that's like, wait, I'm just trying to get you, wait, don't you have a purpose, right? Managing ego, balancing ego, introducing higher self, which is the voice of your soul, into it, that I think is the dance. And what you just described is, the danger of erasing yourself. Yeah, it's not cute. Why? Because I'm divine. Yes. (laughs) Because I'm literally endlessly full of possibility and beauty and I am a hero. Yes. I am. And I know this, Maury. I know this because I've had people at shows come up to me in tears. I mean... Even this show I did two weeks ago, this is how this is how fucked it is. Like the bartender at this, it was a little room at Soho House. And the bartender came up to me, she's like, I've never seen a show like this. You brought me to tears. Like, wow. And it's like Michael today wants to be like, okay, let this is the real tea, Maury. This is the real, real tea. And I'm gonna <laughs> share this. When I was younger, I remember, you know, I was a very successful kid. I like did well in high school. I was president of the clubs. I you know, had the, the star in the play, whatever. And I remember on numerous occasions being places as a high school student or even medical, medical, middle school student with my mom, people coming up to us and saying, I don't know why I'm whispering. I think because I feel weird about my mom maybe hearing this. this but <laughs> It's because you said this is the tea, so you have to get yeah, I have to get it. Oh, yeah. Gossip voice. Gossip voice. <laughs> people would come up to me and my mom and say, wow, you must be so proud of Michael. Like, you know, they're so great. And she would downplay me. Hmm. Even even as recently as like my early, even as recently, honestly, in the last five years at like shows or spaces where I would be with my mom as, as an adult and, and people would say, oh, you must be so proud of Michael. You know, they're a, prof- a professional recording artist, blah, blah, blah. There's a way that she would kind of say, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's, you know, it's all just there, only that, like, there's a downplaying uh-huh. that she would do that is part of this conversation too. What is the downplaying that she would do do for her? What is that taking care of for her? I don't know. What is her own sense of achievement for herself? Does she downplay her own accomplishments? She's just a very, yeah, she's, She's, I would say, pretty humble. She's pretty, you know, don't look at me. She doesn't, you know, whenever I'm home and I want to put her on my Instagram or just even film, she doesn't want to be filmed. She doesn't want to be looked at. Mm-hmm. My parents don't really, they're, our, our ideas of privacy are very different. And that's, you know, a generational mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also a spiritual thing. What storyline could she have grown up with that values humility keep your head down work hard build a family be humble you know pay your bills or else you'll be a shanda you'll be a you'll be it's a yiddish word for like a an embarrassment you'll be a a shame 
Why? I don't know. I mean, these are, you know, third generation Jewish Americans. They, you know, they 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 want to keep it cute. They want to keep it tight. They know what their ancestors went through in the shtetl and that now they have a chance to move to America and be nice white people and they're going to fucking keep it cute. There we go. Don't overreach because if you overreach, that is going to not just ruin you, it's going to ruin us all. Don't take up too much space. And now here I am, a fucking faggot bitch with pink hair and fucking, you know, dancing around the world. And it's like, right? you know, and my parents love me. They love me and they support me, but they're pained. They, 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 I can feel that they, and I'm so grateful for their love and support, but I'm also learning to let go of needing them to see me how I see me. Yes. Beautiful. Now let's take you up. And have you look down at this situation, not look down at the situation, but just, I want you to have a bird's eye view. Is the, oh, it's really nothing about you and your accomplishments at all? No. No. (laughs) It's just a survival tactic. It's an ancestral survival tactic. And when we're young, and particularly when it's directed at us, We have every reason to believe it's about us when the reality is it had nothing to do with you. Never. Didn't have anything to do with how proud she was or wasn't. Didn't have anything to do with what she believed you were capable of or weren't. Didn't have anything to do with whether she thought you were talented or not. Had to do with, oh my God, they're being recognized. Red alarm fire. Red alarm, yeah. Because that means... You're sticking your head up too high. You're not conforming. You're not fitting in. And if we don't conform and we don't fit in, disaster awaits. And that's not a conscious thought. That's ancestral stuff that gets passed down. And you, I know you know that, right? And so very similarly to what we did with Michael from 2018, it sounds like in your moments of meditation, you know, eight-year-old Michael needs and 12-year-old Michael needs and 15-year-old Michael needs. Because they need to understand how much it had nothing to do with them. And the only way that you're going to heal this ancestral trauma of if you're special, if you stand out, it's disaster, is if you stop believing it. Mm. Otherwise, this ancestral trauma continues. And I think part of the fear, as much as what we're talking about in terms of my return to the music industry is about like, oh, ego and this and that. There's also this piece. This There's, piece this of is like a big piece. I still, even though I've been there, even though I've been in on magazines and played big shows and, and already done it, still there's a piece of it's just, you know, just don't take up the space. Right? Don't just And when that happens, one of the tools I want to teach you is again, I feel so lucky because you're so aware, right? So I feel like you can do this work so easily because you do this work. You you work on mindfulness. But when that feeling pops up. And it's not going to immediately pop up and say, don't take up space, right? It's really smart. It doesn't stay, say that outright. It manifests as discomfort or it manifests even as a bad mood or it manifests as frustration, right? But I want you to literally take that drill of curiosity and in that moment drill, why? Why do I feel like this? Oh, I'm, oh I hit it. I hit the, you're taking up too much space. When you know you've hit that ground, That's when you, this is not ours. Deep breath, I release this back to you. Mm. This is not ours. 
I'm going to give this back. And there's no resent and there doesn't need to be any because that also comes up and the resentment piece comes up. The, it the, might come up. The parental if, resentment piece and it's like. And if there is resentment, then we cannot ask the resentment to go away <laughs> because there's no part of us that is disposable. Mm. But are our feelings us? If you are feeling resentful, that is your experience in that moment. That is the experience of being you in that moment. There is a part of you that is having that feeling for a reason. So when we say, no, resentful doesn't make you a resentful person. But if we tell resentful to go away, what we're telling is some six-year-old who's like, this isn't fair right. to go away. Right. It's about integration, not dismissing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So if the resentment comes up, you use that drill again. Wait a minute. What are you resentful over? Well, she never really let me shine. Oh, yeah. I feel you. I see you. That didn't feel good. But you know what? It wasn't about you. That was about her and her grandparents and their grandparents. You know, that was about a lot of stuff. It's a constant dialogue with these versions of ourselves. You know, when we say reparenting or we talk about internal family systems or we talk about integration, which I love because obviously I use a lot of that in my methodology, what I think we leave out is it is a consistent day-to-day -day process and dialogue and conversation. It is not one moment of enlightenment or one therapy session or one great journaling session. It is a constant dialogue with whichever part wakes up and grabs our ankle and is like, ah, that's all a trigger is. This experience just reminded me, we have to really look at that part and say, what are you, what, first of all, how old are you and what's going on? And how did you make this thing that wasn't about you, about you? And how can I, from this viewpoint, from this vantage point, enlighten you about how little it had to do with you? That's reparenting. And it has nothing to do with my parents. I mean, it does, but in terms of the work that's happening, it's all contained within me and my psycho-spiritual sphere. Yes. And as you know, because you're a student of spiritual evolution, their soul needed to experience what it needed to experience to evolve. That's how not personal it is. And as children, we get wrapped up in those experiences, right? And that is completely fair that, that at that age, we believe it's about us. But as we've healed and we know it's not, then our job is to go back and be like, it's just not, it's not personal. Which means the canvas is now blank. So before I let you go, I just want to make sure, is there anything that you feel like you didn't get to ask or that is still kind of stuck with you or any last piece that you really want to mention? You know, you, you know better than anyone, there's always so much. Um, I think the piece that I'm chewing on, even still I feel myself weary of saying, my purpose is to, to, to be a musical artist so people can hear my songs and I can spread my love. I mean, it's just like, because you know what, Maury? When I was 22, I was fucking saying that fully with my chest. When I was 18 and 19 and 20 and 22 and 23 and 24. And, you know, I, I, I have one friend that we talk a lot about the, and I mentioned this, the proximity of confidence and delusion. I mean, I look at the Kanye West. I look at the Donald Trumps. Yes, and? Mm -hmm. I'm not comparing myself to either of those people, by the way. But <laughs> Think about the work you've done. 
think about how hard you've worked for what you've achieved from a spiritual standpoint. And also know that there's some intelligence in that 18 and 22-year-old Michael that said, this is my purpose. There's intelligence in that. There's not just white supremacy and patriarchy in that. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I'm saying that to myself. I know that. Thank you thank for you so letting much. me be a part of this with yeah, you. Yeah, thank you so much. This was, it was so good to finally chat and get to meet you a little bit. So that was an amazing session and there was just so much progress and I am so happy for them that they were reunited with the wonderful things about them, that they felt empowered to state and embody all of the qualities about them that are so wonderful and that they even identified why standing out and being wonderful could be ancestrally Uh, passed down as negative when it doesn't have to be their belief system. And I'm really hoping from here that they spend even more time with those attributes and seeing the beauty of those attributes and really working on accepting that they can identify and love the wonderful things about themselves while remaining um, centered and mindful and peaceful that those two things don't have to be separate. And the only way that this will happen is that they continue to use that tool of curiosity to ask why they believe they have to be separate and whose belief system that is and how they can create something new. Thanks for listening to Signal. This podcast is hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and produced by myself, Anais Aslami and the talented team at Terra Firma, Casey Helmick and Lauren Hall. Please join us again next week for another great episode of Signal.